The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Before I preach from Psalm 22, which I invite you to go ahead and turn to, it's on page 457 in the chair Bible, I need to repent and recant of something I said last week. I made a comment about the joy of the Lord is my strength not being in the Bible. Uh, Tell you what happened. I was reading in a book and made that comment. I thought that doesn't sound right. So I searched it on my computer. Here was the the, uh, idiot issue. I only had the parameters set to the Psalms. So I was wrong. Nehemiah 8.10 is that text. Uh, Here's what bothers me about it. Uh, Nobody said anything to me all day until after the 11 o'clock service to which my wife was present. And she said, and I quote, what is wrong with you? (laughs) So those of you who think I might get a big head, uh, the Lord gave me a good and faithful wife. And seriously, uh, I am grateful for my wife. I say that jokingly. Celeste has always known the Bible better than me. Uh, she is a student of the word and, uh, 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 anybody that's ever taught or preached in her presence, she smells falsehood in an instant. And, uh, I've always trusted her understanding of things. One other person did point it out. It was somebody watching online and thank you, uh, for being willing to have the courage to step forward. Now, if you're a guest today or you're joining me online first time, I promise you, this is the truth. It ruined my day. It really did. I tremble at the word of God. I, I, I would not knowingly want to ever misrepresent the Bible, ever. And today uh, I have spent an enormous amount of time over the last four weeks, and I want to explain why with Psalm 22. And it is with joy that I come to share with you today from the 22nd Psalm. I'm going to read it in its entirety. As you can see, looking at the page, it's very long. But I don't think we fully understand Psalms by reading them in parts. And sometimes we don't fully understanding them just reading them flat on the page. Uh, I just wanna give you uh, an encouragement of how to read really the Bible, but particularly the Psalms, you ought to read them out loud to yourself with the punctuation. So if you look down through here, there are multiple explanation points in this. So I'm going to try to read this in such a way that we begin to grasp what's happening here and then we'll work through the psalm stanza by stanza. Psalm 22. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but... You do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. 
He who trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, from, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion and poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me and a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and my clothing. For my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. For you fear the Lord, praise him. All you who pray, offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but is heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help now. Your word is truth and your your word is powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is clear. Lord, I pray now that we would see it clearly as it is intended to be seen. Spirit of God, lead us, fall on us, bring us to worship as the psalm intends, cause us to meditate clearly. May you now receive all of our praise. For you alone are Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you where this service is headed. We're going to culminate by receiving from the Lord's table. From sharing communion. So in a very, very real way. This is still a sermon, but this sermon is a communion meditation. From the very beginning. I'm praying that the Lord prepare your heart to come to the table. The, the main point of this psalm is that the nations rejoice and remember the forsaken king, that the forsaken king has been delivered. 
Psalm 20 and 21 flow into 22. Remember, a pre and post battle prayer. This is a Psalm of David. We're instructed. Psalm 22 is describing an unnamed event in the life of King David. This event is clearly pointing us forward to something else that is coming. It is clearly pointing us forward to Christ the Lord. What I'm going to be doing today is explaining to you, I'm going to use the word and then define it. I'm explaining to you what is called typology. Here's what typology is. It's when there are clear aspects in the Bible of historical events or people, factual events or people, that point us forward to Christ. It happens all throughout the Old Testament. What we're looking for is when there is a historical connection between the type, here it's David is the type, and the fulfillment. So I just want to say this to you because some of you have a hard time separating this out in your mind. Typology is a form of prophecy, but it is not outright prophecy. Now we're going to get there. There's outright prophecy in Psalm 22, and I'm going to show it to you. But we began considering this as David's life pointing us forward. And it jumps off the page right off the bat, doesn't it? When you read verse one, if you've read the New Testament ever, or if you've ever been to church around Easter, you see these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So David here is describing a, 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 an event, a, a place in time to where he senses and, and thinks that, that God has forgotten him and that he's crying to God. He's, he, he's groaning before him day and night. This is ongoing. He's crying to the Lord. Now, Jesus clearly identifies with this and quotes it directly as he's hanging on the cross. This is recorded in Matthew 27, 46, when Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, says it verbatim, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So there hanging on the cross, Jesus identifies here with what David says. Now let's go back to the Psalm. When David says, why have you forsaken me? He shifts immediately in verse three. Do you see it? Yet you are holy. Here's what this Psalm's gonna do, at least on two occasions. <laughs> Remember this when you're talking to God. You're not him. And some of you scare me when I hear you pray. How you demand things of the Lord. Remember who you're talking to. Now, David has the boldness to say, from all appearance, I'm forsaken. Yet, you are holy. You're not like us. You're not like me. Enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. And you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Now, here's what David's saying. You are the covenant-keeping God. 
And you see David doing this. He did it in Psalm 18. He's going to do it in Psalm 118. He's going to go back and he's going to reflect and he's going to bring up the past history of Israel and how God keeps his covenant with his people and he saves them. In Judges 3.9, you have almost these exact words. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. All throughout the book of Judges, all throughout the New Testament, you see God delivering his people when his people cry out to him. And here's what David's saying. God, you've done it in the past. You're going to do it again. And, and, here's what we know because the psalm is influenced in the rest of the Bible. Not only are you going to do it for David, you're going to do it for the one who's coming. You're the God who delivers. You're holy, verse 6, but I'm a worm. I'm a worm, not a man. I'm scorned by mankind and despised by the people. The prophet Isaiah picks this language up in Isaiah 53 and he says, for he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Christ himself prophesied by Isaiah identifying with David is so scorned and despised as a man. The scorning and despising plays out in verse seven. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Now we've seen this before for David. I'll illustrate this way. If I stood up here this morning, and I don't, and I'm not hinting at anything. But if I stood up here this morning and I said, I, I just have to share with you folks that I have cancer. Here's what some of you would do in your mind. Well, what has he done wrong? We think quite often the way pagans think. That bad things happen to bad people. That's why bad things happen is because you're bad. And here's what the people are saying of David. David, the reason this is happening to you is because you've done something wrong. Now let's go to the foot of the cross where the sinless Savior hangs. And hear the words of Matthew 27, 39. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in the three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Well, let God deliver him. If he desires him for, he said, I am the son of God. So here's what the crowd was saying. Here's proof you're not God's son. You're hanging on a cross. You did something wrong. You deserve it. So don't tell us you're God's son. Now this would play with your mind. 
does David. So he reminds himself in verse nine. It's like, again, it's one of these wake up moments. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. So you've ordained my steps. You're Lord over my life. And even though this looks dire, it looks like you've forgotten me. I remember, I remember in my own life what you have done. We certainly should hear the words from Matthew 1 in our ears. She will bear a son and she will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And these reminders of trust now give way to a cry for deliverance. He's not outright asked anything yet. Just been describing his situation. So mixed together with continual description of his situation with a cry, he, the forsaken king now cries out for deliverance. Be not far from me. So don't forsake me for trouble is near and there's none to help. I'm all alone here. There's nobody here to help me. In, in, in this moment, Dave, David is feeling utter aloneness as if everybody has bailed out on him. We see this in the life of Jesus and Matthew even goes so far in Matthew 26, 56 to say, this has taken place that the scripture and the, or the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples left him and fled so here you find Jesus all alone as he, as he then is carted off to multiple mock trials to where he is treated like an animal. Verse 12, here the psalmist faces his foes. This is metaphor, this is not literal. He's describing this horrific scene Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. So, so here's the way you would understand this. Bulls of Bashan, strong bulls. They, this is a place that had fertile ground, lots of water, and they grew really strong bulls. So if you were writing this in the 21st century, you'd say rodeo bulls surround me. So you want to have an image of these strong, powerful beasts that want to rip you apart. They open wide their mouths at me. You say, well, bulls don't do that. He shifts images. Like a ravening and roaring lion. Yesterday, Celeste and I left the church campus here and we were driving home. We went down New Hope and on two different occasions between right here on New Hope Road and Tipman Road, twice a driver lost their temper with another driver. One time the window was down, we could hear what we'd said, what was being said. The other time the window's up, we could only see what they were saying. Celeste, as we turned on Tipman Road, she said, people have lost their minds. What are people so angry about? I thought immediately of this quote in my sermon. Quote, when people reject God, they act like animals. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand this. We, we lived in a period, a long period in this country and culture to where Christianity was a dominant influence. It no longer is. And when people reject and turn away from God, they, they act like animals. They do wicked and awful things. And here a bloodthirsty group has surrounded David. 
He says in verse 14, I am poured out like water. My grandmother used to say, I'm weak as water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's hurt. This means broken pieces of pottery. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Now here's what David's saying. Life's leaving me. I can feel I'm dying. My heart's fading out. The strength is all leaving me. I can't even open my mouth. My tongue is stuck to the inside of my mouth. Listen to this, John 19. After this, knowing that it was now finished to fulfill the scriptures said, I thirst. Jesus here fulfills as the, as the one who fully embraces or embodies what is being described here. But before he comes to the point of death, Verse 16 says, for dogs encompass me. I need to help you people who love dogs. And we have two, so I don't hate dogs. Uh, most of the world don't, do not like dogs very much. Dogs are filthy, mangy, nasty nuisance. I was in uh, Greece last year, and if you know, their economy collapsed. So one of the things they don't have is any form of animal control. Dogs are everywhere. So imagine if you went to the capital of Washington, D.C., and there were mangy packs of dogs everywhere. That's what it's like in Greece, everywhere you go. And I kept telling these good American kids, don't pet the dogs. And sure enough, one of them got bit. This is the image. These are wild dogs surrounding. They're waiting for the moment to move in. They're not like a lion who attack and kill. They wait and, and scavenge. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and glade over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, if you've not been convinced up to this point that this is pointing you forward, it now becomes overtly obvious that we're pointing forward to a moment in time when Jesus Christ hung on the cross. John goes to great detail to explain and make the connection. He says in John 19, 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, that means they pierced his hands and his feet, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them and my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. John puts it together for us. Now back to Matthew, or excuse me, Psalm 22. This section concludes with a desperate cry for deliverance. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Now do you see the turn at the end of the verse? You have rescued me. Not you will, you have. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. In other words, these strong bulls were moving in for the kill and at that moment rescued 
Now we move to the third and final section, and there's a dramatic shift that happens in the psalm. And we see here the deliverance of the king results in the praise of the nations. All right, so I just want you to ask, don't answer out loud. I just want you to ask a question. Some of you, some of you have read Psalm 22 and said, oh, I see this connects to the New Testament. I remember, I remember my God, my God, why you not forsaken me? I remember they cast lots. And then you stop right here at verse 22 and don't see the rest of the connection. Brothers and sisters, the greatest connection is yet to be. The culmination of the psalm brings us to a full understanding of where this is going. Verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Now the writer of Hebrews who's, who's thinking about the suffering of Jesus and asking the question, why did Jesus have to suffer which is partly what Psalm 22 is introducing to you here. He's describing this to suffering believers. And in Hebrews 2, he says, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So here's what he's saying. You're struggling because you're suffering? The giver of life suffered. He suffered for your salvation. Why? For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, now he quotes Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two: I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. All right, now, now let's, let's, let's zone in and tie this together with what's coming in the New Testament. Because some people want to say this is just a New Testament idea. I want you to see this is an Old Testament idea. Who is he appealing to? What ethnic group, what nation is he appealing to in verse 23? Israel. So here's what needs to get in your brain right here before we proceed into the psalm. Romans 1:16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To who first? The Jew first and also to the Greek. Now watch him shift to the Greek or to the nations as we proceed. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. All right, so... So what he's saying is the Lord has accepted the affliction of the afflicted. He, he's received what, what has happened here. He has not hidden his face from me. He has heard when he cried to him, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied and those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Here's what he's explaining here. That, that a thank offering when God, when God had delivered his people, his people would bring a thank offering, a sacrifice to him. And here's how we need to see this fulfilled in Christ, that Christ himself is the thank offering. That he, is, that he has given himself before the Lord. He is the one who is afflicted on our behalf. And the afflicted, that's us, shall eat and be satisfied. That we shall look to Christ and, and believe and that our hearts then will live forever. Now, in verse 27, here's where the shift to outright prophecy takes place. This is no longer typology. He's now predicting something that is coming. 
All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. So they're going to remember something specific that's coming. And because they remember it, they're going to turn to the Lord and all the families of who? The nations. It's not just Israel. All the families of the nations shall worship before who? You. Not David. They're not going to worship before David. This isn't about David. This is about the one who's coming. They're going to worship before him. So Revelation chapter 5, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why is he worthy? For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm going to read that last phrase again. and I'm going to take you back to the song. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord. David's saying, I'm not the king. Yahweh's the king. He rules over the nations and all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him, bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. So not only are all the nations gonna come to him, the rich and the poor, the prosperous and those who can't feed themselves, they're all coming to worship before the Lord. Posterity, excuse me, shall serve him. This is gonna be remembered. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. So this is not going to die off with one generation. Here's where it's very interesting in the psalm. We don't know exactly what happened to David. We don't. We're not remembering that this morning. What we're remembering is what David pointed us forward to. We are remembering and proclaiming the righteousness of God in Christ. Here's what we're proclaiming. Look at those last several words in the psalm that he has done it. It's one word in the Hebrew. Accomplished. Does this sound familiar? Accomplished. Right after he said on the cross, I thirst, he then said one word, one word, tetelestai, finished. Finished. It is accomplished. There's a quote. The last verse implies that there will be an ongoing testimony about Yahweh that he has accomplished. The text is abrupt. The Hebrew provides no object for the verb to accomplish or simply to do. We almost have to supply the it. But what then is it? 
that Yahweh will have accomplished. It is the redemption of his people through the finished work of the forsaken one. How do we know the work's finished? Here's ultimately how we know the work is finished. Luke 24, six. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So I come this morning to ask you one simple question or to ask yourself, do I believe that he has done it? That he has accomplished the redemption of his people through the finished work of Christ once and for all. Here's a quote. The greatest proof that the Bible is the inspired word of God without error is fulfilled prophecy. And what you're seeing today, what you're hearing today, and what is being proclaimed to you is the things yet to be, that Christ has fulfilled what was promised. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we, that is believers in Christ, that we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10 in your Bible. Romans chapter 10. Verse nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And before I read verse 11, I want you to hear me carefully. I've had this said to me more times than I can possibly count. Well, my religion is a private religion. I have my own personal beliefs and I'm confident I'm right with God. I want everybody to hear me carefully and clearly. Christianity is a personal religion in that God saves individual people, but it is never private. You're claiming something else because the scripture here clearly says that those who are saved are those who believe in their heart. That means in the depths of who they are, that they are trusting in the finished work of Christ and with their mouth, they are confessing that Jesus is Lord, that it is a public and a professed faith. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be what? Now I want everybody to hear me. Psalm 22 has got to lay on top of that verse for you to understand it. You will not experience Psalm 22 if you trust in Christ.
if you reject him and you turn from him, you will be forsaken of God forever. That is the shame. Christ took on himself what every one of us deserve. Every one of us. We are saved from the wrath of Almighty God because Christ himself took it. Verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. You know what that means? God doesn't care whether you were raised Baptist, Pentecostal, raised in church, out of church, grew up in America, didn't grow up in America. Whatever it is you think makes God more happy with you, it's all false. There's no distinction. Here's the only distinction. Here it is. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.